Super Bowl reaction. Less about the football, more about the conspiracy surrounding it, and that he gets us at, you know, the second one. We'll do that and a lot more fun on this week's Corey Truax Show. When I say less about the football, I don't mean not at all about the football. I'm actually going to start there. So if you are not a football fan, you don't care about football commentary, this hobby of mine that I love so much, the NFL, if you're not into it, I suspect it's going to be the first seven or eight minutes of the show, maybe a little less. So you can start hitting that skip button or that fast forward button until you hear something you actually want to talk about. But I actually do want to talk some football here for a second and some... Uh, some enjoyment I have in this particular dynasty that's building in Kansas City and why it's different from a previous dynasty that I didn't enjoy, the the Patriots dynasty. So we'll start there. But then after that, I do want to talk about the conspiracies surrounding the Super Bowl, some of the tweets I see about how the entire league is rigged and scripted. And then there were two, I think, actually three. Three he gets us ads. Two were, eh. And one was, nope, that's not right at all. That's some garbage right there. And so I want to correct and uh, critique what happened there on that he gets us ad. I don't think we'll do more than that, but maybe complain about Travis Kelsey acting like a toddler on the sideline. But we'll see how far we get. Welcome to the Corey Truax Show, wherever you find podcasts. I am glad you're here. You can react to the show on the Spotify app. That's where some of you do it. You can also email the show at Show at gmail.com, Show at gmail.com, or find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or threads. You can message there or post there, follow along, and I'd be glad to have your feedback on anything we do here or stuff you think should be on the show. Let's get going. All right, so I've I've said seven or eight minutes or two minutes into the show, give me until the 10-minute mark to talk football, probably less. I like this dynasty. I know uh, several folks that don't and people that just generally don't like dynasties because there's a, an idea. I get it. There's a scarcity of championships. You only have one a year. Athlete timelines are short. In this league, quarterbacks can maybe play 10, 15 years. Some of the greatest can get a little bit above that. Running backs play for five and six years. Wide receivers might have a 10-year shelf life. I mean, if you are getting into the league at 21 or 22, you're done at 32. Your body can't take it. Linemen maybe can have 10-year careers. So there's these short little windows where where these guys want to win championships. And when there's one team taking three out of the last five, and I think going to the last going to four of the last five Super Bowls, I understand why people don't like dynasties. There are some that I enjoy. I enjoyed that Golden State Warriors dynasty uh, out in, I guess that was 2014, 15, 16, 17 in there. It's dying now. Um, actually, I remember one of my favorite games I watched was out in Phoenix, Arizona. Me and my uh, elder brother, one of our elders at Beachwood Church, I forgot, by the way, to tell you, that's one of the things I do. I serve as one of the elder, the pastors for teaching at Beachwood Church. And we meet in Greenville on Sunday mornings at 1030, and you're invited. Uh, but out there in Phoenix, I got to watch one of those games. It was a classic, and because we were on the mountain time zone, the game went off and the sun was still out. It was great. I, lo- I like that Warriors dynasty. I-, I tend to enjoy some of these dynasties in basketball and football because it, it takes some real strategy of a manager because there are uh, salary caps. Like, I-, I couldn't stand the Yankees dynasties and even some of the teams that I liked in baseball when I was into baseball, because if you don't know this about baseball, there is no salary cap. So you can just buy championships. 
teams with half a billion dollar payrolls can just go purchase a World Series trophy. And then the teams without those kind of payrolls just have to go play their 162 games with no chance of ever making a, making a run. And you have those you know, one-off teams like the Athletics who did the Moneyball thing. Great movie, by the way. Even better book. Uh, with the, that's a Brad Pitt movie. It's phenomenal. And even back when I was watching baseball and those Yankees were buying all those championships, when they did lose one, it was because another team bought one for one year. They just mortgaged everything, bought a ton of stars, beat the Yankees, and then sold every, all those players off. And those those franchises tended to be bad for a decade after that because they spent all their money on one year to get one championship. So NFL dynasties are fun. NBA dynasties are fun because it requires, especially in the NFL, it requires you to think through how you're going to structure your 53-man roster to get your best shot at this. And so uh, some of these I enjoy. I And this one I like. I like this team. I think Patrick Holmes is so fun to watch. Just gifted athlete. Andy Reid is this master genius. And they have put around him a supporting cast that's generally fun to watch. They're they're good enough. You know, they're good enough players, but Mahomes is transcendent. Andy Reid is brilliant. The defense is so good on that team. They're fun. It's in contrast to me. Uh, it's in contrast to me to the previous two dynasties. Because the Patriots not were not just one dynasty, they were two. They won three Super Bowls, I think in four years, between 01, 02, 03, 04. And then they won three more Super Bowls in 2014, 15, 16, 17, 18. So I think it was three out of four years early in the Patriots dynasty, and then three out of five years later in that dynasty. And those two, those two sets of teams were very different, the early early ones and the late ones. That earlier dynasty was not fun to me because... I felt like I was living in a, a fantasy. I was living in an alternate reality to everyone else. Like with this Chiefs team, it feels like everyone gets it. I can say Andy Reid's an awesome coach, man. The, that last touchdown they scored on was all Andy Reid. It wasn't Patrick Mahomes. He had to throw to a wide open guy. Why was he so wide open? Because Andy Reid figured out how the uh, what's that team they just played? How the 49ers play bunch formations and they switch their assignments. And so Mahomes got to throw to a wide open guy. Last year in the Super Bowl against the Eagles, two wide-open touchdown throws. Why? Because Andy Reid figured out how the Eagles handle motion across the formation. And because he figured out how they do that, he exploited their, their rules. Like, the Eagles were playing the correct defense. The 49ers were in the correct defense. And Reid figured out a way to exploit their own properly played defense. That's brilliant. That's awesome. It's fun to watch as a tactician. And you're allowed to say that. I, I love that this Chiefs team, people say, and this is the best defense Patrick Mahomes has got to play with. And a lot of people get credit. There was this weirdo thing that happened when I was in high school. That early Patriots team, there was just Tom Brady. He he apparently did everything. He was all 53 men on the roster. Bill Belichick was meaningless. He was it. I mean, that guy played with all pro defenses like crazy. Absolute Hall of Famers. I mean, Mike Vrabel and Richard Seymour, Rodney Harrison, Ted Teddy Bruschi was his name, I think. Willie McGinnis. That's before they drafted Vince Wilfork. One of the, he's, a, he's not a Hall of Famer yet, but he's going to be. They had the best defense in the league basically every year. I should believe in that first, if I recall, someone, someone check me on this. If I recall that first Super Bowl, I think he completed 16 passes. I think at that next Super Bowl against the Eagles, it was 20-something passes. I mean, it was, but <laughs> and the defense was awesome. Now, that Panther Super Bowl was crazy. If you don't remember that, man, that Panther Super Bowl against the Patriots was wild. And I think that was a 
big breakthrough game for him. But you weren't allowed to say any of that. It was just Brady's God, Brady's football God. Can, am I allowed to say that the coach is pretty good and the defense is good? Nope, it's just him. He's the best. He's the best there's ever been. Now, that's different than that 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 team where he was, God, he was so fun to watch. He was a different player by then. He had figured out the entire NFL and no one could trick him. He was incredible. But there was a mystique around him that made it weird. And it was, I would just argue, he was a very average player early in his career. And there was a mystique about him that made it less fun. And this this is super fun to watch. I like this Chiefs team. This They're getting older quick. I think this it feels like the end of a run to me. And they'll, maybe Mahomes will do like uh, Brady did and have another run in his 30s. Uh, but this team is getting older quickly. Uh, and I, I don't know. That, to me, it felt like a triumph that cannot be repeated. All right. I said seven or eight minutes, and I did it in like, yeah, I did it like seven. All right. That's, that's the football parts. Welcome if you skipped over and you're now here for more commentary I typically do. Fun game, but as is always with the Super Bowl, there are other things that took place that give us content to comment upon. For example, I got on Twitter the following morning and saw various and sundry people that tend to be aligned with my political ideology, not necessarily my theological identity and theological leanings, but my political ideology. They, they lean my way. Saying things like, I have one in front of me, the NFL's, the NFL, this is a quote, the NFL's gone full WWE. That's world wrestling entertainment. Everything's scripted. You'll, i get you some more here with language around the NFL being rigged. It's all just rigged. It's all fake and scripted. Now, that's annoying to me, but there is something deeper there. One of the themes of these 10 years on the show, it's the, the small minds that talk about Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey and Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and Kyle Shanahan. And it'll be some media minds that talk about the things that happened on the sideline or the, uh, or the, the events of that game. But we want to think deeper in the ideas that undergird it. What on earth leads someone there? Are there consequences to it? What leads someone to say that a billion-dollar industry filled with thousands, close to 10,000 people in total working for either a league or the teams, to say that the entire thing is scripted and fake, and does it matter? I would argue it does, and I want to walk through that. This isn't just NFL conspiracy thinking. This has been a theme of mine, guys, since I was a kid. And I ran into Loose Change. That was a, docu- a documentary. A documentary of whatever sorts. 2002, 2003. And this was the... 9-11 was an inside job. Conspiracy theory. It was really my introduction to conspiracy theorism at 14, 15 years old. And I became quite accustomed... Uh, not accustomed. I became an... I got I got really interested in, I got excited about disproving conspiracy theories. And I don't know why I got re- really into it quickly. Like, I was like a moth drawn to the flame on this. I've come to some conclusions now in my older years as to why I'm like this, why I just can't stand it, why it just gets on my nerves. And I'm going to try not to be any, have any kind of demeaning tone while talking about this, uh, because I want to 
call you back or help you call others back. And one of the ways that we're going to deal with conspiracy theory type thinkers and our families in our lives is not going to be to demean them. No one ever gets demeaned into changing their mind. They they might be able to get invited back. And so I, while I can't stand this stuff, the conspiracy stuff, I will try to keep a helpful tone. So this is not just about the NFL being rigged. This is generally about conspiracy thinking and why it's damaging, where it comes from. I just jotted down a few things. One, one of the, the things I, I want to require of conspiracy thinkers, like when I hear one, is ask for their alternative theory. One of the, the, one of the pillars of our modern age is deconstructionism. It's tearing everything down. All the institutions, families, churches, governments, faith itself. We deconstruct everything. We say all the things that are wrong with something and why it shouldn't exist or why it doesn't work. But no one builds anything alternative. The conspiracy thinking that the world is not as it seems, that there's secrets behind everything. It is by nature deconstruction. It is by, it is by nature non-constructive. It needs alternative theories. Just for example, we'll take the NFL thing. So you're telling me that 106 men who spent all their childhood, all those college years, deeply desiring to win championships, all of them just know it. They know they're in a script, and they don't tell anybody. About two dozen coaches on each team, eight referees, and if we're not talking about just the Super Bowl, we are talking about the entire league. We're talking thousands of people. Just know that week after week, we're watching a fantasy, and none of them tell about it. And now it's been 70 years almost of it. The best-kept secret in all of humanity, that the NFL is a, f- a fake thing. You're going to need to build something alternative, not just make an allegation. It's fake. It's rigged. You're going to need to build something What's your alternative? How, how do they make that work? What are the incentives here? Why, why have they been so good at it? Why are they better at keeping this secret than like the Watergate secrets? What's, you've got to build alternative. Same thing with like moon landing stuff. I be- absolutely believe we went to the moon several times. It's the, one of the greatest achievements of humankind ever. If you think it's fake, you've got to build a whole, whole other theory. Who were these people running lights and sound? Who are the people just, uh, who are the janitors on set cleaning up the stage where we shot this fake thing? What, you've got to, like, where'd they do it? What, do you have any th- like, true theory here, or do you just know what didn't happen? Because nothing can be as it seems. The conspiracy thinking is by its nature deconstructive. It doesn't construct anything, and I would want to require anybody who's making any kind of... Uh, allegation. Well, what is your alternative theory? And if you don't have one, listen, I love you. I don't have a really any interest in talking to you because there's nothing to interact with. You're not giving me anything. You're giving me negativity. You're giving me wild accusation. You got to build something for me to respond to. Otherwise, I just sit here and listen to you. I just listen to your rant. That's not any kind of friendship. That's not any kind of relationship. You got to give me something. In particular with this NFL thing, the game in large part hinged on plays that you would be very hard to recreate or get or get staged. For example, in football, if one team punts and the ball as it's coming down hits the team that punted, 
which this is not supposed to do. The team, uh, the ball is live, and anyone can grab it. I'm sorry, it hits the hits the team that is being punted to. The ball is live. The first Chiefs touchdown happened on one of the happened on one of those plays. I dare you to take 22 of your friends out, 21 of your friends out in the field, get one of them to punt and hit a guy running down the field. I dare you. Give yourself a thousand tries and see if, like I'm talking, go get an NFL punter and see if he can with accuracy hit a guy with a punt while he's running down the field at full speed. I dare you. 1,000 out of 1,000 times, you will fail at that. That's nothing. That's not something that can be staged. It's unreasonable. There were two records set on field goals last night: fifty-three and fifty-seven yard field goals. Your entire thing is based on one of the hardest things to do in sports. What if it goes wrong? This doesn't. Th- these theories don't make any sense. There's a. There's an ethos I picked up. It's, it's to my. It's to my right. Like, there's all kinds of problems on the left. There is just rank paganism on the left. I get it. And it needs to be responded to and argued with and by God's grace defeated. Now, this other direction too, there's, a, there's an ethos, a paradigm, a, a zeitgeist that is permeating a certain part of rightism that just seems to say nothing is real. There are powerful people in shadowy rooms behind everything. They're stealing elections and running the medical industry and they're running Hollywood and they're running, they're running everything. Uh, all right, again, you got to build it. You got to give me names and theory and structure. It's, there's, it's almost to the point of catechism. And we, we catechize, we don't, but catechizing children is something Presbyterians do. It's one of the strategies, tr- excuse me, strategies in raising your kids. Give them questions and answers. Give them instincts on uh, on matters of spiritual spirituality and biblical theory, biblical thinking. And there's a catechism that has permeated some parts of the right that just say, are, uh, it's almost like this, are you in charge of your life? The answer is no, I'm not. There are powerful people conspiring behind the scenes and they're in charge of everything. And that's just the knee-jerk, instinct reaction to the question, are, are you in control of your life? Is the world, as you understand it and collect information, can you trust it? No. You can trust nothing that you see. There's something bigger happening here. And it is said with that kind of faith, but gently here, with no evidence and no alternative theory. I'd make just one more, uh, maybe a couple more arguments. I kept thinking about this Super Bowl one, you know, going into it. I, I would say to you, anyone that told you the Chiefs were going to win so that Taylor Swift could endorse a political candidate, I would argue that person's probably not worth your time anymore. I mean, they were wrong. The Chiefs won a game. That didn't happen. But just that, this theory, this conspiracy theory that this incredible player that I've been, I've been following for 10 years in the league, Travis Kelsey, is in a, a fake relationship with a pop star so that leftward candidates can win elections. This conspiracy theory. Can I offer to you, as I, I said on a recent show, 
uh, that I think it's insane. But here's a part I didn't mention. Do you know how bad your overlords are? Here you are conspiring or theorizing that there are powerful people lording over you, and they uh, they're bad at it. Consider the consider the thing they've put before the world now. The most famous woman in the world has been mostly known for bad relationships and the songs she writes about bad relationships. She seems to be happier than she's ever been, almost inexorably seeming to be leading to a marriage. And the role that she's in is faithful cheerleader to her traditionally masculine husband playing our final gladiator sport that we haven't sissified. That's their plan? To make her the most traditional woman figure she's ever been? And the more that she's been more traditionally feminine and less boss girl, the happier she looks to everyone? What's going to end up happening is this woman's going to get married soon, going to have a kid, and we're going to end up having like a Taylor Swift baby boom because women in their 30s that have been following around just following Taylor Swift for social cues didn't have any kids, and they're all going to go, I got to have one too because Taylor did. And we're going to, I don't know, address our... Population problem because of this madness. Listen, that's how bad your overlords are at this. They have set up an ide- the, the ideal relationship right now in the country is where a masculine man does manly things and is supported on the sideline by his cheering and adoring woman. Your overlords are bad at being overlords. I don't know, some final things here on conspiracy thinking. I wrote down three. This is no longer about the NFL conspiracy. This is just generally. If you wanted to send this to a conspiracy theory person, just ask them to give me five minutes. Here's why I would call you to reject the voices that are always dabbling in a world where what you see is not what you can trust. That there's always something going on in the background. And we don't know who they are, but they want something different. Three things. One. Conspiracy theory, conspiracy theory thinking, in my estimation, is a call directly against any hope that we should have for God's sovereignty over things. I can operate in this world because I just have hope. I see how bad everything is. I do, guys. Some, I think some of you think I don't know, understand. I don't understand how bad the world is. I think some of you catastrophize. And it's not as bad as you think, but yeah, I understand the world is rotten, super sinful, darkened. I get it. And I can only operate in that world knowing that I have to leave it behind in 50 years to two boys that I adore. That I I need to protect and provide for my wife in this darkened world that could get really bad. That there are people that my heart is knit to as part of our of our church and there are children that I get to teach. In, in a kids' church setting, the only the, I I I gotta have some hope for the world, so that I don't look at them on when on Wednesday nights when we have kids' church and just go, all right, well, you guys are inheriting a hellscape, and there's really no hope for you. Conspiracy theory thinking is only that. There's no hope. I don't even know who my enemy is. This is one of the reasons I have hope. I know who my enemy is. The world. The world is, the worldly system, things set up against the Lord, the flesh, my own sin, and the devil who influences the world in my flesh. 
Those are my enemies. I can strategize against my enemies. I can set up systems and structures to try to defeat my enemies if my enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. If my enemies are they, them, you know, they and them, the shadowy figures behind everything, they're my enemies. I got no hope, guys. I don't even know who they are. I'm not to fight them. I got nothing. They're, they're just going to control the world, and I just got no say in it. I have no agency. Well, let me call you against conspiracy thinking because it robs you of any agency or hope or, or responsibility. I, I need a bunch of folks. Oh, I just realized something about myself. I think I have been so... This is interesting, I think. I've been so anti-conspiracy because something deep in my gut says I know I need allies. That whatever my role is on this planet for these 80 or 90 years, I know I can't accomplish it on my own. I need allies. And if what we're going to accomplish is big and lasting, I know I'm going to need a lot of help. I'm going to need to be a part of something. Not lead something, but be a part of something. I'm going to need allies. And so when I see people in some ways aligned with how I think, I go, oh, cool, look, an ally. We'll be on the same side. And let's go attack the same enemy. And you're getting ready to go attack the enemy, and we're going to get a win over the world, the flesh, and the devil. And then you realize the person you're next to doesn't even think that's the enemy. They're going 180 degrees the other direction saying, no, Cor, you're fighting the wrong enemy. The, other, the, other, the enemy's over here, and you can't even defeat the enemy. He's a, it's a shadowy figure we know nothing about. we got to hide in the bunker. Oh, man, I want my allies. And you guys are so close to being allies. It's conspiracy theory, thinking, robs of hope, undermines any trust in God's sovereignty over things. I, I don't want to stretch this too far. But you can get in, ah, oh, come on, is that Isaiah? Early in Isaiah, there is, like, uh, there's question. I think that's Isaiah 8, 7, 8, 9, somewhere in there. There's a question as to why Israel's efforts are not being successful. And there is rumor and worry about why that is. There's rumor mongering. And even, I think, in those latter chapters right after that, some in Israel want to go to the necromancers and like go to the sorcerers and try to get, a, get, get the answer to the secret reason why things aren't going well. And all it does in Israel is breed more distrust and worry and fear. I don't, I don't, we're not called to it, guys. It's not going to help. It's not good to live in a world where you don't have, you just have no agency and power. It just breeds more worry and fear. Two, I've noticed that these, emer- these conspiracy theories emerge only when something goes the way you didn't want it to go. An election didn't go the way you didn't Election went the way you didn't want, so it was stolen. I Listen, we can find that on the left and right. I remember very vividly in 2004, on the left, people saying that the voting machines in Ohio were rigged against John Kerry, and they changed votes from Kerry to Bush. Why did that conspiracy theory emerge? Because it just didn't go their way. Guys, this is a broken world. You live in the Western world in a place that is darkening quickly. Things aren't going to go your way. If you're a believer right now, things are going your way right now. We're, I, I believe we're on a, going to be on trajectory for things to go your way more often. But we don't need um, complicated explanations as to why things don't go our way. 
You live in a pagan, God-hating land. Of course, in a pagan, God-hating land, things don't go your way. This is that the, the problem with some of these like election conspiracy theories. You'll have someone on the internet say, well, I don't know anybody who voted for blank. Of course you don't. That's where you live. The algorithms on social media don't expose you to anyone else. It's a big old country. There's 330, what, almost 340 million of us now? There's a lot of folks. Vast majority don't profess to be Christians, and the ones that do aren't, aren't showing up to church on Sunday. You live in a pagan land. You don't need cons- complicated conspiracies to say why things don't go your way when you live in a pagan land. And then I think finally, one of the reasons conspiracy theory thinking appeals to some minds is that people love the idea of control. There's a fleshly need to feel like you're in control, that you can explain the world around you. I I don't know why. I tend to be very comfortable with the idea that some things I just don't get, and it's probably not for me. That's something I'll maybe I'll know in eternity. Some things just some some folks find comfort in saying these things that happened the way I didn't want them to happen have an explanation. I've got the secret. And so in in, in large at large, I'm just trying. Uh, I spent these 20 minutes to say conspiracy thinking is negative. I saw it in the Super Bowl, around the Super Bowl. And if we are going to be cohesive and have good allies and move towards a goal, we're going to need to toss all of the shadowy backroom thought that there are secret cabals of people running everything. And we got to take some agency and go after the stuff we can control. Two more things in the Super Bowl. Travis Kelsey is a one of the greatest tight ends that's ever played the game. I've enjoyed watching him long before Taylor Swift came along. Uh, but had one bad moment that will be memeified all over the internet where he was yelling at his elderly, overweight coach. Andy Reid is a 65-year-old man, and Kelsey collided with him and yelled at him in his face. Uh, just want to say out loud, any young bucks that listen to me, this is no way for a 33-year-old man to behave. This is no This is no way for a 10-year-old to behave. Temper tantrums are to be left when you're like three or four years old. This is a good call to men that listen or use you, you who influence men. We don't act like that. You know what men and women should be doing? What grown-ups do? Regulate your emotions. When you fear rage, when you feel rage, you control it. When you are angry, get a hold of yourself, lower your voice and your tone, and process your emotions well. That was childish garbage when he did that. And I just wanted to say it out loud uh, really quickly before we get on to uh, this final thing I want to do, which is the He Gets Us ad. And uh, and this is going to be a longer episode than usual. Before I do that, I do want to remind you that you can... One, get me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Threads if you have a response to anything I just said. Or at Corey Truax. Uh, just look for Corey Truax at those places or at Corey Truax Show at gmail.com. I went back to Isaiah on the try, trying to find a reference for this conspiracy thinking, in part because I think it's really good practice to try to go to Scripture, try to go to even God's law, the prophets, to try to find any kind of wisdom for what you are trying to discuss. Something we've been doing on the show for a couple of years now, and sometimes it's hard. We will read a law about 
what happens when uh, someone's burning their field and it starts to harm your field because they didn't control their fire well, and the, the law has some way to get recompensed upon that. And then you read that in the Bible and go, okay, well, how's that apply to me? Well, it's likely the case that none of your fields have been accidentally burned by someone else's fields because you don't live in that world, but the modern-day analog for that might have happened to you. And I would say the modern-day analog would be getting hurt in a, a car accident or maybe getting hurt at work. Either of those scenarios, I know it's got they've got serious consequences. Medical bills pile up. You're losing wages while you're hurt. You're also just trying to navigate the process of getting some kind of justice. I don't want you to be overwhelmed or intimidated by it. There are people who can help. The one I want to introduce you to right now is a personal friend of mine. He's here in Greenville, and his name is Samuel Harms, Samuel Harms, H-A-R-M-S, as in stay out of harm's way. You can find him lots of ways. You can Google him. That's easy to do. You can also call at 864-666-6666. His name is Samuel Harms, attorney at law, for real. Don't try to do these things alone. Get someone who can answer some questions and start working through what's next. Reach out to Samuel Harms here in Greenville at 33 Market Point Drive, Greenville, South Carolina, 29607. The number is 666-6666. So if you have had your modern-day fields uh, hurt in a car accident or hurt at work. Give Samuel Harms a car, excuse me, give Samuel Harm, Harms a call at 666-6666. Final thing, might take us a minute. A couple years ago now, I guess, the He Gets Us ads started airing. And I, I said at the time, I, I even said in a sermon during my Hebrew series, uh, when we got to the part about um, a sympathetic high priest who... He knows our he knows our troubles. I referenced those ads and said, "Yeah, that's true. He does get you." But even in that same passage, was some words about his otherness, the the holiness, the highness of Jesus. That this God is is in some ways imminent. He's close. He's also preeminent. He is in the heavenlies and cannot be around sin. And so I, I said of those ads, they were. Fine, but incomplete. It's just an incomplete picture. And ultimately, the uh, some of the arguments I even saw on Twitter last night and this morning uh, was that the, the ad is a conversation starter. It's not a theological lesson, and it gives Christians of all sorts the opportunity to start conversations. I think I even landed there a couple years ago. While I, there was parts of the ads I didn't like, I thought, well, if these people had nefarious intent and they've got a bad ad out there, that doesn't change the fact that a Christian at work you know, hears people talking about the He Gets Us ads and can then speak up and speak the truth. That it's an opportunity in a setting to say, hey, what would you think about that? He Those ads, He Gets Us. That's a Super Bowl ad, right? That's just a conversation piece. And then you, know, you can correct some thinking and put some truth out there. So that's a fine argument. But I do want to just respond to at least one of those ads. There were a few. At least, I think three. Uh, but there was one where Jesus is pictured in cartoon form, or let's call it animated artistic form, washing various people's feet. And it's a it's all uh, various and sundry people from a woman out front of an abortion clinic to an obviously effeminate man who's maybe trying to be a woman uh, across various spectrums. You, know, you, you, you pick up all kinds of stereotypes from the artwork they put forward. Uh, lots of things I want to say. Uh, but one, let me just clearly declare, that's an incomplete picture, and I would argue with the washing of feet in particular, an inaccurate picture. Jesus' feet washing was his disciples. That was before the final 
before the Last Supper, going into uh, his his passion, his death and burial, his, well, his sham trial, his crucifixion, and his death and burial. He washed the feet of his disciples, not not rando sinners in uh, at a meal. I mean, I, I like not I just like the feet washing thing's important. It's a great picture of Jesus's love for his sheep, his care for his people, but to try to establish or exert, that's a bad word, stretch, yeah, stretch that lesson to all unbelievers everywhere is not an accurate picture of what Jesus was doing by washing the feet of his disciples. And again, while that's inaccurate, it's otherwise just woefully incomplete. There's an obvious, uh, let's call it appeal here, to left-leaning secularists. Because the sins they put forward as the ones, well, Jesus would wash your feet, were all the sins that left-wing people and secular people want to not be sins. So he's washing the feet of a man who's being effeminate and looking like a woman, where Jesus would affirm Genesis, as he does several times. He affirms Genesis that in the, be- uh, in the beginning, God created male and female. He, he, uh, male and female, he created them, is what I meant to say. My apologies. It's the left-wing secular activist that says marriage is just whatever you want it to be, and it's Jesus who affirms that as the law of Moses says that there's, when it comes to the the interaction he had with Pharisees about marriage, he goes right back to Genesis, and Genesis would affirm one man and one woman is what makes a marriage. He taught marriage and traditional values on sexuality. And for that matter, Jesus taught if you look at a woman with lust, you're, you committed adultery in your heart. I mean, Jesus' teaching shuts down not just premarital sex and homosexual sex. He's shutting down pornography. I mean, we're <laughs> his, his standard was quite high if you start going through the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, he, he comes saying uh, that his teaching, following him, would even separate families. That's how um, some of the things Jesus taught were so, so severe. And so what I noticed in those ads is there were some pet sins. We want you to know that abortion and homosexuality and transgenderism are, are sins that Jesus will wash your feet and you should take a look at Jesus even if those are, are your sins. It would have been something. It would have been something. If that ad also had Jesus, like washing the feet of someone who, uh, trying to think, like in Appalachia, who had a meth, I don't even know how you do meth, so let's go with a needle in his arm. I don't know what drugs you do with needles. You know, the the, the white rural person uh, who is da- downtrodden. For that matter, you know, I'm not a fan of this guy. It'd have been it'd have been something if the ad would have had somebody Jesus washing the feet of a someone wearing a MAGA hat there to to make universal like all the various sins, because then you put in the face of everybody, hey, uh, Jesus has mercy on the sins of all kinds of people. Even there, again, the washing of the feet thing is not helpful. I thought one of their ads was helpful in the past where. It just showed people of various stripes, enraged. Like BLM people to MAGA people, just rage on everyone's face. And there was a great line there about you know Jesus bringing some kind of peace and that we're in this angry age. So the whole thing hasn't been bad, but that was a pretty bad ad. It was picking out some sins that they want to be soft on and then 
calling not to any kind of repentance, but just to a conversation about Jesus. And so uh, maybe those will get breached, those conversations. But if they do get breached, um, we should have some clarity. Yeah, Jesus would teach against all of those sins in the ad and not just say, let me wash your feet and love you, would say, repent, turn, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And as you give up those sins and as you give up those sins, you follow after me. But you cannot have both that sin and follow after me. We've got to come on the back end here where those conversations come up and clarify that, no, Jesus does not condone those things at all. Those are all forgivable. The most spectacular sins, the sins we hold closest to us, the sins that we hold as our core identity, they can be repented of and forgiveness is there, but that must be repented of. And then Jesus does wash the feet of his disciples, take care of his people. But let us not forget the need for repentance from sin. All right, I think that's all I got. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or threads. Look for me, Corey Truax, CoreyTruaxShow at gmail.com. If you have any responses to that, I would be glad to take them or send any content that you think should be on the show. I am grateful that you listen every week. Thank you for giving me this time. And if the Lord allows, I'll be back with another new edition of the show next week. Until then, everybody, peace and love.